Yeah, where's it coming from? Let's find out. Hello and welcome to the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Barbara Fisher, and with me are Kendra Maurer and Morgana. Today we're going to talk about the hauntings up at the Ridges, which is the old Athens lunatic asylum. This is probably one of the most famous places in Athens. Part one of our two-part series about it was last week, and we talked about the history of the place, all of the good and all of the bad. And this week, we're going to talk about all of the hauntings. Not all of them, because so many people have claimed to have experienced things up there that we can't have everybody in the show. So let's talk a little bit about what a haunting is. Morgana, Kendra, jump in with what you think a haunting is. I think that... And this is where I'm going to sound like a D&D nerd. I honestly do think there are probably a couple of different types of hauntings. I think there are ones that interact with you and ones that don't. And honestly, those might just be the same types of hauntings and you're not noticing that you're interacting with the ones that aren't interacting with you. I have always considered the stone tapes theory of hauntings and weird things to be a possible explanation for some of them. And that would be that quartz, large amounts of quartz bearing rock can preserve electrical charge. And since humans are electrical beings, it may preserve strong events and then replay them. And that can come off as an odd feeling or weird lights or even little chunks of time almost, like things that have just been recorded in time. I think that's a possibility. I think time slips are also a possibility, particularly where, you know, you stumble across, like if you're on an old battlefield and you suddenly stumble across a replayed image with full color and smell and sound, and then it blinks back out or you step out of it. I also think that strong emotions can imprint places, which leads to that creepy feeling or feeling, you know, you walk into a place and you feel uncomfortable or sad for no reason. I have, I don't honestly know if ghosts are dead people or not. I think there's an element of your brain interpreting impulses that you're picking up. There might be an element of co-creation, which thank you, Greg Bishop, for coming up with that theory, where your own either preconceived notions or your own emotions, or as Kendra puts it, your own goo shapes some of the, and gives cloaks whatever impulses you're receiving in a sort of form So it's, I don't know, a haunting is possibly about a million things. (laughs) 
<laughs> unfortunately. I, I don't have a good, quick answer like so many other things about paranormal phenomena. It's very blobby spider web instead of a quick, clean, contained box. There is no easy answer for any of this. Kendra, what do you think? Do you think that there are spirits of dead people in hauntings or something else or both, neither? I think it has a lot to do with our goo. For me, the goo is the energy, the pheromones, everything that makes the spiritual parts of you in a little encased area just outside your body. And I think some things interact with the goo better. Like, I want to say like tuning a radio where you're just tuned into that place and that time. And sometimes it's the stone tape. Sometimes it's the recording where you're just picking up the remnants of somebody doing the same thing over and over and over again. And it's just a worn trail of energy. And sometimes I think it is interactive with, you know, dead people or things that have some sort of independence. So they're not a routine worn thing. And I think that you're that it senses you and you sense it and you kind of have this moment where you are made of the same wavelengths so to speak and you can pick up on each other and does it go as far as like playing hide and go seek sometimes it can but i think for the most part most people carry a low level of the ability to kind of pick up on it some people just are more able for whatever reason. So I think a haunting is just a person tuned into the energy of a place at a time. I think that's a good explanation. As it, both of those are really good explanations for what a haunting is. I never ascribed hauntings as purely the spirits of dead people. I haven't thought that since I was a kid. It's never that simple. I do think a lot of it is emotional energy that has built up over time. And when you have old places like Battlefield, where a massive amount of emotional and physical energy was expand expended all at once, and then people over generations go there to remember it, because that's what we do with Gettysburg and, and Antietam. We all go there to think about it, to look at it, to remember that piece of history. Well, if you go there to remember it, you're adding you your own energy to that place. How many thousands of people go to Gettysburg every year? Mm -hmm. And how many thousands of them are school children whose minds are open and more, sometimes some would say more aware of spiritual things because they haven't been told over and over it's impossible such things don't exist so their energy is being added to that place over and over and over um i think with old places like up at the ridges that old asylum that old building has been in use for over a hundred years now it opened in 1874 it started being built in 1868 so 
we're coming close to like 150 years, which in in America is, oh my God, it's ancient, you know, <laughs> because, you know, we are not from where the history came from. That's Europe. They have stuff that's, you know, 800, thousands, uh, thousands of, years of years old. Yeah. They have we're stuff a young like country, that. honestly. Yeah. We, we are, we're babies. And, but to us, 150 years is, Ooh, that's big. But interestingly, because of the type of, use that this building was put to there was a lot of emotion that was built up and expended within the walls of that building and within the grounds of that building and so all of that emotion if the idea of the stone tapes has any validity to it whatsoever is contained within the grounds and the building and people who have now come to work there as instructors or as uh, administrators or uh, museum curators, artists, their energy is affected by that. And their energy affects that. And then you have all of the people who go up there with the understanding that it is haunted. And so their energy is going to affect that. Not as much as, say, Gettysburg, because we don't have thousands and thousands of people coming to the ridges, thankfully, um, with with that kind of expectation. But still, people go there with an expectation that they are going to be frightened, that they are going to see or feel or hear something frightening. And so that energy, that expectation comes into play. And I agree with with Greg Bishop's co-creation theory, which he came up with for UFO experiences. But I think he may well have also described a mechanism by which paranormal, all paranormal phenomena works. That it's in part something outside of the percipient or experiencer meshed with what's already inside the experiencer. And the two energies, the two goos, come together and create something. And so knowing that, it makes me look at my experiences not necessarily skeptically because I know that I experienced what I experienced because I was there, but it makes me look at it in a different light. It makes me go, what did I bring to this experience? Yeah. What expectation was in there? What confirmation bias did I bring to the experience? That That's kind of why I go, are they really the souls of the dead? Although I have seen ghosts that are, that look like people. Yeah. In, in my grandmother's house that my whole family had seen. And I wonder about that. You know, yeah, I wonder, is that just the imprint of somebody who lived there or is there somebody still in the house? Is it it, it an interactive thing or is it just a record? And also that house, speaking of the Civil War, the basement of that house was used as a makeshift hospital and I could not go in that basement because it was horrible. I hated that basement. It's creepy, and also it turns into, like, a cave, basically, yeah. once you get past a certain point, and it's just wrong, and there's dirt floor, and I just, mm-mm. 
Yeah. And I, mm. I think that also, that experience as a little kid also sort of shaped my, you can feel, like, you do tune in. Places give off a feeling which can influence your emotional states. So, like, yeah, if you if you think a place is haunted, you're already creeped out in a pleasant way because that's why people go to haunted places is to see if they see something. Legend so you're tripping. primed in a way. Yeah, you're primed in a way to see something. But I think I think the ridges is also a place where there is something to be felt and seen. Mm-hmm. So it's it is very much a mutual experience. Like you're primed for it. You're giving you're giving goo to it, it's giving goo to you. And it's just a matter of how well are you tuned in. Yeah. I think. I I think that's that's a that's a good way to look at it. Um my experiences in the building buildings of the ridges is minimal. I've had two experiences because I haven't gone into the buildings that much. Um, Morgana, I think, probably has been in the buildings more than the rest of us. Uh, I do have experiences with the grounds, um, but... The grounds to me don't feel spooky in the least. I don't feel weirded out being in the woods up there. I don't feel nervous being, you know, anywhere in the park-like environs. That's the last bits of the landscape that was put together when it was opened in the first 20 years when they were still building it. I don't feel any anything like that. I don't. I've never seen a, a specter out there. I have seen lights. I've seen weird lights. Um, and I, I've seen lights flying in the sky at night up there. But mostly I feel peaceful and calm around that area. So I, I don't have that expectation. But other people do. Um there's the the use that the big Kirkbride building has been put to by Ohio University. It's a multi-purpose building and they're still working on uh, restoring it and repurposing it on the inside because there's 523 rooms in that one building, which is a massive undertaking. And think about the money involved in heating it and the upkeep in something that big. So it's not all, you know, it's not all open for exploration, but they do give tours and people do come there for tours. Um, Morgana, you went on a tour when you were younger. Yes. Um, one of the grad students who had the keys showed us around, um, which was really cool in a lot of ways. Uh, and he was, he was wonderfully practical about it and was like, I don't think it's super duper haunted because I have a studio in here. Um, and he's, he said, you know, 
it is mildly creepy. Um, and <laughs> plenty of people who have studios say, you know, it's creepy and they've had weird feelings and cold spots and heard random things. But going through most of the, the main building, it's it doesn't... Okay, parts of it feel weird. I remember running my hand over one of the windowsills, which it is true that the windowsills have been carved with names and things from the old... From the patients. Who, from the old patients. And that was a hair-raising experience because I ran my hand over it and immediately felt freezing cold and the hair stood up on end and I heard screaming in my head. And I decided I wasn't going to touch any more windowsills. But again, that was, I think, a co-creation moment because I was expecting something creepy right and also i think that might have been a stone tapes moment because it wasn't it wasn't just screaming it was screaming and laughter and talking all at once in a garble it those sills i think are made out of native limestone which was quarried nearby and limestone does in ohio tend to have a little bit of quartz in it um to a lot of quartz so you may be correct most of the building just felt, you know how abandoned buildings feel, like where they're empty and kind of sad? Mm-hmm. And there were cold spots that I'd stumble across, but it wasn't, I didn't see much of anything. Mostly it was just feelings, and the most intense one was when I, I ran my hand over a windowsill, and it was like I heard a garble of all the things packed in. Right. Like, screaming and just talking and crying and laughing and just all the sounds humans make. Mm-hmm. Like, all at once. Sort of compressed together. Yeah. And it really was like a garble of just all of them. And I was... It was mostly freaky because I did not really expect it. And it was unsettling. And I... I do not... <sighs> Some people who are experiencers experience ghosts a lot and that's their thing and i am not a ghost person i get feelings about stuff but mostly i get other things that are paranormal ish i get different flavors of the paranormal <laughs> i don't tend to get ghost flavor so it was unsettling but other than that i mean it it just feels kind of sad and a bit forlorn. And the grounds feel nice. When did you go on that tour? Oh, I think I was 17, 17 or 18. And then Brittany and I went into the TB ward when we were 18, 19. Right. Um, and that one, that was unsettling. Yeah. Because that that was when we went in... With my boyfriend at the time, and we actually did glimpse things. Um, and I think that's probably because the TB ward had just been completely abandoned and nobody had gone in to do anything. Nothing had been cleared out, really. We did not get as far in there as a lot of other people have. We made it through the first 
big room and we only were on like the first floor. We made it through the first big room and got to one of the hallways. And as we had been going through, I remember seeing a nurse with a wheeled cart with towels and bedding on it out of the corner of my eye. And I turned and there wasn't anybody there. And it was very sketchy. It was, it was, it wasn't like, oh, there's a person there. It was like, you know how you see things out of the corner of your eye and it's an impression more than anything. And that's what I had seen. And Brittany saw a doctor walk in the same sort of way. And then we got through that big room and we took pictures. Um, My film camera jammed immediately. Yeah, I remember that. When I took the first picture outside of that, the building, and I could not get that camera to ever work again yeah it's now a sculpture in my house it is now a sculpture in your house (laughs) um because i gave up trying to get it to work because it just wouldn't (laughs) it's it was a pentax and and they do jam and i knew all the secrets of it because i used to have one exactly like it and and i did all the things and it didn't didn't help at all it just said no i'm gonna stop now but we did have a digital camera. And of course, we, we have disappearing evidence moment because the pictures were on my old hard drive from when I was in high school that just, pff, no, died. Yeah. <laughs> but there were, there were faces that had appeared. And either it was the best pareidolia ever. I remember those pictures. Or there were a couple of faces and some dust motes and like one or two orbs that might have been really good dust motes, but you know, probably were. Yeah, D- most orbs on digital cameras are are artifacts. dust, and it was very dusty in there. Oh yeah, that was the that was the <clears throat> stated reason as to why I wasn't going to go with you because of the dust. But mostly it was, nah, I don't need to do that. I'm I'm too old for that. Uh, no. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I have a baby. I'm not gonna. I, I gotta. I gotta watch the kid. I ain't gotta. No. We we got to the second hallway, past one of the huge rooms, and we hit a certain point in that hallway. And Brittany and I, at the exact same moment, heard, felt. I don't know if we heard it with our ears, and my boyfriend at the time didn't hear it, or if it was a we heard it very clearly in our heads moment. But something said, get out, leave. And which is just so stereotypical. But Eddie Murphy would be proud. (laughs) But there is also a push pressure on our chest and just a feeling of intense dread that all hit at the same time. And I looked at her and she looked at me and we both wheeled, turned on our heels. I grabbed my boyfriend. We dragged him out. We walked briskly. We did not run. And we got all the way out and he's protesting the whole time. And we're just like, shut up, let's go. And he's like, why, what happened? And I was like, we got told to leave. And Brittany was like, "Uh uh-huh, something said get out, leave. And it was not our place to argue with that. So we did. And he's like, well, I didn't hear anything. And I'm like, we both heard it at the same time. Let's go. We don't care what you didn't hear. Thank you. We outnumber you. (laughs) And aside from that, there's like the grounds also are not that spooky. Um, I've got I go hiking up there occasionally with my boyfriend, and it's and my little took my little brother and his best friend up once, and it's 
they're fine. They're just happy, pretty woods and good hiking trails and beautiful grounds and trees. And I always, you know, nod at the cemeteries. And when I still smoked, I would sprinkle some tobacco and just, and like leave a flower and just leave. And the, the cemeteries aren't spooky. They're a little sad, but I think cemeteries always feel sad. Uh, but other than that, that's pretty much aside from the, the blue room, but that's a, me and mom both were, had that happen. Yeah. We'll talk about that in a little bit. So yeah, that's my things at the ridges. <laughs> yeah. What's interesting is when OU took it over and repurposed everything, one of the, one of the places they repurposed was the old stable and they put a, uh, preschool up there, a preschool that they used for their education majors to have internships. And uh, Koi, our younger child, was enrolled there. And it, it's kind of the exclusive sort of uh, preschool in the area. So you have to be on a waiting list, and we got lucky. And it was a really nice preschool. Nothing in that old building felt weird. Nothing, and it was just right below the hill on the back end of the main building. And it was built of the same bricks that they used to, to build the main building. Nothing felt creepy there. It was full of children and laughter and music and... The playground was, you know, just active all the time. There was a children's garden that they worked in every day when it was warm. And they grew food and flowers. And then they, they also hiked around the grounds and went into the woods. They never felt scared at all. It never felt creepy. None of the teachers felt creeped out there. Nothing. Because, of course, I had to ask, you know, because I, I'm, I'm the weirdo who's going to ask. And uh, they, it, it's not a case of people were hiding anything. It was a case of, no, it, it wasn't scary. Um, and and it's, it's a really pretty place. And interestingly, that fountain that Jack Crocs, the alligator, was in is in the children's um, garden, like right next to it. That's how I know what size old Jack must have been right before he was aged out of the system. Because uh, I've seen the the centerpiece of the fountain and I know how big it was. And uh, so, you know, to me, it's just a... It, that section of the grounds is just sort of a historical place that's now repurposed and and made beautiful. Kendra, did did you have any experiences when you were at OU? I know you bought, you rode your bike up in there. So when I was in college, it was before I met you guys, I was still uh, racing bicycles. And um, we used to go hang out up at the TV ward. Spent a lot of time hanging out like on the little, I think it was a loading dock more than a, it was a porch. And I went in the building a couple times, but not really that deep. Um, it was more of a gee whiz and I was more concerned about falling through floors and seeing ghosts, but, um, I never got 
a feeling of malice. It was just once there was activity and then suddenly it stopped. It, it kind of felt like there was an interrupted period. And there was still like, there were still paintings on the walls and the chalkboard still had writing on it and the chairs would, it just looked like I would imagine Pompeii would have looked where everybody just left. And it never, I never felt threatened. It just felt like it felt alive, but not threatening. And of course we all had, there was this place where you would, it was a cement stairway up to a cement platform and there's a tree. And of course, you know, the tree had the limb that stuck out and you're like, oh, that's the hanging tree. But, you know, nobody, I don't think anybody got actually hung there specifically on that tree or, you know, in that area. I never got the sense that that's what happened. And I think for us, it was more, you know, you go in there preloaded with all these stories of what happened and your mind fills in the blanks. You know, it's like, ooh, I I saw something. I felt something scary. It must have been from that time that kid was hung because he picked his nose at the wrong time. As far as seeing people, I don't think I ever saw anything that I would say that was a person. It was more just imagery and sense. And I never felt anything particularly bad about the TB ward. I never went into the main hospital because when I was there, it was when I was in that part of my life, it was still active. There were still people there. So it would have been like breaking into somebody's house and that just was not, not cool. That's not cool. Yeah. But yeah, we used to go up to Radar Hill and, you know, watch the stars and climb up on the structures. Not the best idea. I should have been more afraid of that thing breaking <laughs> than the floors breaking through, yeah. but I was yeah. 18. So, so yeah, I, I spent a Great deal of time up there, but never really saw anything that was scary. Yeah. Legit. I, the stuff, I do wonder if we didn't glimpse things in there purely because we expected to. Well, I think a certain something happens. So when you think, I'm going to a haunted asylum, and then you're outside of it, you start to get this, your energy changes. Because now you're all excited and you're all worried and you're all flustered and you're, you've got all this stuff going on in your head. And I've seen where people are like, oh, you know, I'm outside. My heart is racing already. What's it going to be like inside? I don't think that's the effect of the asylum. I think a lot of that is you put yourself in a sort of fight or flight situation and you start becoming hyper aware of everything around you. A mouse running suddenly turned into something else because you're expecting something so much bigger. And I'm not saying that everybody, you know, just saw a mouse or over-exaggerated. I just think that so many people build up so much in their heads that they expect to see things and the mind will exaggerate to fit the reaction. Yeah. I also will say that the the things Brittany and I glimpsed, and glimpsed is the correct Mm -hmm. way to put it, if they weren't just little snapshots that played through and that we just happened to be experiencer-y enough to tune in. Yeah. Um, and I have no explanation for the sudden descent of dread. Well, except your own 
brain could have done that. Your own brain could have said, okay, we've seen enough. It's done. Time to go. Let's, let's just leave. You know, Paul Eno has a theory that what we think of as ghosts or the spirits of dead people, when we see full body apparitions that look real or that we see as shadow people or whatever, are actually glimpses either in a time slip, like somehow time gets jiggery-pokery screwed up somehow, and two times sort of come close to each other and you can see in, or there is a place where two realities lay next to each other and there's a membrane between that gets a little permeated. And so, because he's had experiences where he can interact with apparitions and they seem to be just as scared like they're looking at a ghost and that's him. And so sometimes I wonder if what we are, what you experienced, for example, Morgana, wasn't a case of you sort of, you didn't go back in time yourself, but you were close enough to a, a, a way to see back in time or you were close enough to a reality where the the place was still operational the tb ward was still working and so you just caught a flash and i do wonder if that's the case if you were kind of sort of <laughs> back in time was we scared the bejesus out of some poor orderly <laughs> yes some orderly <laughs> or nurse like, Get out! What the heck? <laughs> some wow. orderly or nurse looks up and sees you know two girls Three and people. a tall guy with long hair standing there clothes and strange clothes and and are like oh no (laughs) you're not supposed to be here and then you disappeared to them and they're like oh who oh what was that place is haunted yeah what (laughs) what happened what happened so you know it can be so many different things again yeah the paranormal there is no one One. single explanation for anything well there's no clear science yeah there isn't. And as far as I'm concerned, two people felt it at the same time and heard the same thing at the same time. So there was uh, there was some external something. That did something. But exactly. There was also, there's always some internal something. And I don't know what it was. <laughs> no, All none of us do. are equally possible. I know. think. And I, think... I was I was happy to leave because it's not like the building was particularly safe at that point. I mean, there were huge cracks in the floor and chunks Which was my concern that with had it. pushed up. And we were trying to be really careful about that. But, you know, I'm I have I had never felt a need to go back in because it isn't unsettled. It was unsettling. It wasn't like terrifying. Like we did not run screaming into the day level. It was just a very unsettling moment. And most people that I've talked to that have been in there have, have said it was mildly unsettling to greatly unsettling. Um, When you went into the main building and had the tour, I know you went up into the attic and you saw the outline of Margaret Schilling. Yes. Did you have any feeling about that? I know no. you took some 
wonderfully haunting, um, creepily beautiful, sad photographs because I remember seeing them. Um, I did apologize and ask if that was okay, which I don't know why I felt the need to do that, but I did. It almost felt, I sort of expected to feel something up there and I really didn't. It just, I don't think, you know, at the, so some of the legends are like, it's, she curses the place. I don't think she's there. No. I agree. And I didn't feel like really that she was there. I did, it just felt empty. And I, you know, I was very, it's a very sobering thing. It's, it's, it's like seeing a grave. Well, it sort of is, which is why it's not open to the public. Yeah, and so there was... I felt very much that we should be polite while we were there. Which is how, which is also how I feel about the graveyards there. I, I feel as if one should be polite. Yes. Because you're in a graveyard. <laughs> you just, you shouldn't be capering about on tombstones and like stomping around on graves and, and things. And for God's sake, don't move the tombstones or knock them over because that's just terrible. That's just horrible behavior. <laughs> that's just not done. Don't deface them. Don't... Yeah. It just... It felt sad and empty. Like most of the unused rooms in the ridges. It just feels sad and empty and... Disused and purposeless. Yeah. And I think if the building... If buildings could think, I think... Or feel, I think the buildings... And this is very fanciful... I think the buildings feel a bit lonely and like they're not doing their job. Okay, so you 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 opened up the fanciful door. So I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to just step right on in. <laughs> I think that the fact that all of those bricks were made out of the clay that they dug up at the site, I think that the fact that it was a sacred site in prehistory for the Adena and Hopewell people whose mounds were up there and basically got destroyed by the, you know, building the area, building the area up. Um, I think that the earth itself and the bricks that were made of the earth itself kind of retain things retain a sense of purpose maybe yeah. and it may be in part from a spiritual perspective again you opened that door i'm going i know i'm it. sorry no it's okay it's okay we're not scientists it's a good door to be opened um but if it was a sacred place to the adena which if they put their mounds there i suspect it was and the earth itself was considered sacred as by Native Americans in the past and present, they consider the earth itself sacred. Then the bricks made out of the earth are sacred. And it may 
be part of why. Combine that with the moral treatment plan, with the Kirkbride plan, with the open doors policy, with the lack of restraints that the first superintendents basically laid the law down on and it was kept up through its whole operation. I think that may have been part of why for the longest time it was a good place and why the community of Athens within living memory there's still people who remember it in operation who said it was a good place they didn't feel bad about their family member being there they didn't feel bad about working there they liked going there to visit i think that's part of it from a mystical whimsical fanciful spiritual perspective i think that's why it was such a good place in oh. in general all you know, the there's still bad things happened, but it's like it's like making your food with love. It's it's the intent gone into every aspect of the creation of it. Yes. Yeah. I also yes. I'm so glad that the university is doing things with it because the building the majority of the buildings that are still standing are in use. They're lecture halls, they're a museum, they've built a observatory. They have the preschool. They've got the preschool. There are parks that have been built. There's, you know, tennis courts and an archery range and things. The Dairy Barn is an arts center and also an an after school and a summer program for kids. Program for kids. It's because it's it's a place that feels as if it should be utilized. And the fact that its its utility is continuing. It wasn't allowed to deteriorate. So many Kirkbride buildings have been allowed to deteriorate and have been taken down, which is a shame. That is Because the amount of energy and time and expertise it took to build them. It's a shame to waste that. Well, they are some, beautiful buildings. They are beautiful buildings. And some of them... However, I don't know. I feel like... I feel like some asylums are do have a history of intense, intense pain and anguish, and I can see why people don't want to do anything with them. Oh like, yeah, yeah, like much, Mansfield. <laughs> yeah, like, I agree. Yeah. Where like, no, that's okay. That that should be put away. That should be torn down. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I agree. There there are places Weston in West Virginia, the Trans Allegheny, yeah. that you know they do tours there. That's basically what it's used for is to scare people. Um, (laughs) I can see that. I can see tearing it down. Um, The stories that come out of there were used to terrify me as a child. Um, And some of them probably were exaggerations, but a lot of them weren't. So there you are. I don't know. I think, I think the ridges is just this mixture of, compassion and deeply misguided treatment that amounted to abuse and torture yeah and also at different time periods and just it's this it has a checkered and strange past and i think the feelings people get there are checkered and strange and a mix of 
nothing and peacefulness and scary things because the ridges itself is a mixture of peacefulness and scary things and pain and good things. Morgana already mentioned this uh, experience she and I had in the main building and it occurred, it was after 2006 because Koi had been born. Koi was little. I think Koi was about two. So it would have been around 2008, 2009 when this happened. We had a friend that we worked with at a restaurant who was a graduate student in the uh, art department at OU in photography. She had a studio there in one of the patient rooms. She had several patient rooms that she worked in. We didn't know they were patient rooms at the time. They're they're very oddly built. If you remember in our first episode where we talked about the history, they they were small but with very high ceilings. And they all had windows that let in light. And it the small with very high ceilings gives them a weird feel. Just architecturally speaking, you don't expect that. High ceilings usually equate with big rooms in most modern architecture. And they were built small like that with a small footprint to keep overcrowding from happening. That was the idea, to keep those as private rooms. Which was, that's a good idea, but human human expectations for spaces indoors don't lend themselves to... Small rooms usually have smaller ceilings, lower ceilings, not gigantic. So that it's like a rectangular box standing upright it's a weird it's it was disorienting to me in the north in the south that's a purposeful way to air condition a courtyard or a house so in the north you're you're correct they tend to lower the ceilings with the smaller yeah yeah so it felt weird Mm -hmm. um but she had talked with us she's like yeah i there's this room And it's weird, but I don't have a lot of experience with this kind of stuff. And I know you two do, you know, we just walk around and exude weirdness, I suppose. (laughs) Um, So I kind of want you to come up and I want you to see my studio and see my, my art that I'm working on. But I also want you to, to come and, and just, I want you to go into this room, cover your eyes and go in and see what you think, what you feel. And so we said, okay. And did we look at her room and her art first? Or did she take... I think take- so. I think so. That's what I remember. So we went to the to her little studios and looked at the stuff. And, and you know... And it- she had all of her pictures with clothespins on lines. Yeah. So it was it was an interesting installation. And we... We looked at that and it it felt okay. It didn't, I didn't have any weird feelings up in there. It was quiet because at that time they hadn't opened the museum yet. And so they didn't have a lot of activity. It was mostly workmen, you know, putting in new walls and, and, and fixing it up at the time. So then she said, okay, I'm going to take you to the room. And she had us cover our faces, cover our eyes, and we went in. And I'll let Morgana describe 
what she experienced first. Yeah. And then I'll describe how I felt. Yeah, because I believe we went in one at a time. Yes, we did. So as to not influence sort of influence each other. Each other. I think was the, the plan. Um, and Morgana didn't tell me anything until after I'd already gone in no. and come back out. Um, and I walked in and it was cold. Instantly very chilly. Um, and the hair went up on my, the back of my neck and it felt wrong. And it felt wrong. Like this was not a happy place or a peaceful place. It just felt off. It felt off and oppressive and cold and eerie. And I didn't like it. So I uncovered my eyes. It's a blue tiled room with drains in the floors and connectors on the walls all over the place for either gas or water. I wasn't sure which, but it was creepy in there. And I was like, okay, no. And I turned around and I left. And yeah. very quickly, I did not stay in there very long because it didn't feel right. Yeah. Um, and then, and then I, I went like, in. like, all right, go. So I went in and it was cold, but I started getting this pressure feeling on the back of my head and the back of my neck. And the only other times I had ever had that happen have been when I saw, when I was 15 years old, the first apparition that I had ever seen that I took to be a ghost, that I took to be a human spirit. Um, although now I'm wondering if it wasn't some kind of weird time slip business because she looked back at me and we saw each other. So whatever. No, <laughs> I don't like that. Um, but we, I, I just, felt that heaviness and I was just like, Ugh, and I felt like I couldn't breathe. Like I felt like I was starting to have an asthma attack, which I had just been diagnosed with exercise induced and allergy induced asthma, which I had had all my life. I'd been having these weird feelings. Didn't know it was asthma. I guess in West Virginia, people don't have asthma. I don't know. They just didn't figure it out. Um, anyway, I just felt, anxious and asthmatic and had a headache and just felt squished down like there was this weight and so I opened my eyes and looked around and I saw the tile and I saw the the jets for what looked like plumbing hookups and I was like oh I wonder if this was a hydrotherapy room at one point and hydrotherapy, we described it in the first episode, but if you skipped that, because we did put a, a warning on it that some of the stuff we talk about is pretty heavy and disturbing, um, is where you fill up a tub with icy cold water and you stick a person in it and you, you basically cover them up and sort of tie them down in there so they stay in there. And the whole point was to shock the physical system and shock the mind. And that was, I don't know, it was supposed to bring you out of your depression. All I know is it, it would well, it'd make me angry is what it would do, but it, it, it can't have done anything that was good. I'm sorry. I just don't believe it did. So I, I was like, it's either that 
or it was an operating theater, you know, because why do you have all these floor drains with a tile floor and tile walls unless you're dealing with something that's wet and wet things are water or blood. That was my theory. Now, it turns out there was never an operating theater there. So it wasn't that. So my logic at this point is that was a hydrotherapy room. And people probably did not like being in there. I know I wouldn't have because I don't like icy cold water. So a whole bunch of people in there with icy cold water probably charged it up with all kinds of unhappiness. And so I came out of there and I, I looked at Morgana. I'm like, what did you feel? She's like, I didn't like it. <laughs> and I was like, okay, <laughs> we didn't like it. And I said to our friend, well, this is what I think it was. And there's probably a whole lot of unhappy emotions just in there. And I said, and if you want to try to maybe clear it out, I mean, maybe just don't go in there. Yeah, that's what I said. I said, just don't go in there. You don't have to go in there. <laughs> There's so no just, reason to. Just don't go in there. Just leave and, it be. And uh, she said, okay. I was like, because I think it would take a lot of work to clear that out in a, in a psychic fashion. So, so maybe just salt. leave it alone. And maybe when they redo that room... It'll kind of work its magic just by taking the stuff out and moving it around. It'll maybe let it dissipate. So that was that was my first experience in the in the big building, um, and I, I didn't really like it. Um, but I didn't feel I didn't see an apparition. I didn't feel a specific thing. I didn't have any kind of, you know, weirdness happen. It was just feelings. Um, I'm not saying that's not valid because a lot of hauntings rely on feelings. That it's a, a physical feeling. So what I didn't know, though, and I found out just... Uh, this month when we started doing research is that the Ohio Exploration Society, which is a paranormal investigating group, did an investigation there in 2005. And during their investigation, they got a, an EVP, an electronic voice phenomena in the blue tile room. So this happened before Morgana and I went there and we didn't know about it at the time. And neither did our friend. And uh, that was, it was weird. They had been brought in by another graduate student in art who had an art studio there. And he had experienced odd things like seeing figures walking down the hallway out of the corner of his eye, very much like Morgana and Brittany. And hearing music near the elevator that when he would go there after hearing it, it would disappear. And he saw the figure of a man wearing a black coat in the reflection of the men's restroom mirror when nobody else was there. Mm -mm. And so they, I don't like I'm mirrors. not okay with I don't that. trust mirrors. Mm -mm. <laughs> mm -mm. Um, yeah. There's creepy stuff in them. Mm -hmm. I, I have my own mirror issues as well, which mm -hmm. maybe we should do a whole episode about mirrors and why we don't like them. Mm -hmm. Right? 
a maintenance worker who was interviewed by the uh, paranormal investigators told of several places where he had experienced odd activity. Uh, he witnessed the apparition of a woman wearing a yellow dress standing in the doorway of the same general area where the grad student had experienced oddness. And so the, the paranormal investigators went through the artist studios and during the tour of the, the blue tile room, they got the sound of, um, what was it? Uh, there was a cold spot and they couldn't identify where that the air could be coming from. And they got a non-specific EVP when they left the room and left a recorder in there. Um, later, they went on a tour of the basement and they recorded an actual EVP down there asking, would you help us? On another floor, they went into one of the two strong rooms, which was one of the padded rooms, and they recorded the sound of a scream on their audio equipment, and it wasn't heard by those who were in there when it was recorded. Now, I've heard these EVPs, and they are interesting. I could definitely hear, would you help us? It's very faint. It's fairly, a lot of EVPs are very, you can sort of hear words in it, but a lot of times I think that's audio pareidolia where your brain is taking sounds that are kind of random and putting it into the formation of words. But sometimes they're fairly clear. And this is one of the times when it's pretty clear. Um, the scream is very definitely a very quiet scream. Um, and it's, it's interesting that they also investigated the restroom where they saw the reflection in the mirror when there was nobody back there. And they didn't see anything. They took photographs. They had a camera there when nobody was in there and nothing was picked up. Um, they tested the acoustics where the music was heard and then it, it would disappear. And they found that they could hear someone speaking on the first floor landing up on that floor. So sound travels through that uh, building very easily. So they're kind of like, yeah, that could have been somebody had music playing down on a floor below and it traveled up and then they had turned off the radio or whatever. Which I appreciate. I appreciate that they... Paranormal investigators. I appreciate yes. being able to say this thing maybe isn't a thing, but also we found some hinky stuff. Yes. That, that brings me joy. <laughs> uh, they took electromagnetic readings and temperature readings and they caught nothing out of the ordinary. But... Again, there's the the whole idea that something was a little weird. And so they they looked at it and 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 they both said yes, there's weird stuff, but they debunked some other stuff. So they 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 it sounds like they did a very good 
thorough investigation, whereas Morgana and I just went in and went, ah, this feels weird, I don't like it. You know, <laughs> you know, and then bailed. Yeah, uh, we, we weren't really, at the time. We were not doing a paranormal podcast, nor were we thinking about any form of being investigator e at all. No, tourists. <laughs> yeah, we. She was busy being a, a a line cook. I was busy and a student, and I was busy being a chef and a mom. We didn't have time for that nonsense. You know, we were, we were not going to be getting electromagnetic readings and digital recorders and cameras and setting up things with IR and temperature readings and all that stuff. We, we didn't have time for that, but it still felt weird. And this, this stuff all happened before we went there and we had no idea about it until just now. So I think well, that's not just now when we did research about that. Okay. Two weeks ago, two, <laughs> two, three weeks ago, we found out about it. We've been um, working on this for like a month. Yeah, pretty much. It's it's interesting that there are artists there. Yeah, I love that I love they that. put the artists in the old asylum. I <laughs> I find that I I think Greg Bishop would love that actually because he he one of his specialties is talking about UFOs and art, and I cannot help but think putting artists in a place where there may be paranormal activity is going to produce something. <laughs> Something's going to happen out of that. You know, put creative people in a place where there may be psychic activity and likely something is going to be co-created there. And who knows what it is. Now, there's not just artists there. They also were renting out um, office space in the parts of the main building and parts of another building that was sort of attached to the main building. Now this building has been torn down. And as we were doing research for this, I found out something significant about that little piece of the building, but I'm not going to TB ward now, right? No, I am not. We'll, we'll, we'll get to it after I read Brian's, uh, little little story here so we have a friend we've been calling him ryan on the podcast he was with kendra when the mothman was sighted he was driving the vehicle and he said i'm coming out you can use my real name my name's brian so it's not ryan it's brian put a b in front of it (laughs) there you go um he said he had an experience there because he used to have an office up there. I don't have the exact date on when this happened, but it is interesting and it's well-written, so I'm going to just read it as he sent it to me. I used to work for a computer service company who had their office in a newer part of the ridges. Building 20 has been demolished now, but I will tell you of an odd occurrence I had there and the later information that made it even creepier. It may sound a bit trite, but in fact, it was a dark and stormy night. I got an, <laughs> I know, I love that. I got an emergency call from a client around 2.45 a.m. that one of their critical systems had lost a power supply. While I will not name the client, let me just say they were no one I could ignore until the next day for everyone's sake. 
I jumped in my car and drove the 10 minutes to the ridges to get a replacement power supply before heading to the clients. Our office was on the second floor of the building, on one end of a very long hallway that once housed individual patient rooms. I unlocked the front door and rode the elevator to the second floor. I headed directly to our office and entered it, but I had a very uneasy feeling. You know that something's not quite right feeling in the pit of your stomach. The storm had mostly subsided by this point as I turned the lights on and headed to the workbench. I grabbed the power supply and started back to the door when I heard a sound. Now, mind you, this is in the wee hours. The staff and everyone else, including the custodial staff, had gone home. I knew for a fact I was all alone. That's when I heard it. A squeaking noise coming from the hallway outside from the far end, which at this point had no client offices in it at all. The sound was like a squeak from a gurney wheel. There had been no gurneys in this area for more than 10 years, so I knew this was not just someone messing around. The squeak got louder and louder as it came closer to me. To give you an idea of the layout, this floor was like a giant U-shape with the elevator at the bottom of the U and stairs at either end. My office was near the elevators. I looked down the hallway and it was empty. No mist, no shadows, just the sound coming closer to me. I thought it might have been some kind of mechanical sound, but after working in the building for a few years, I had never heard it before. The sound got louder and then began to fade a little as if it was moving away from me. Then suddenly the elevator doors opened. Then they closed and it went to the first floor. Now, while this may not seem so strange, the elevator was on a will call state, so I had left it last. The doors would only open when the button was pushed and it would not move until a floor was selected. I exited the building by the stairs with great expediency. <laughs> oh yes a high speed nonchalant as he would normally say soon thereafter I kept a supply of replacement parts in my car so he wouldn't have to go back there on a dark and stormy night this is what I learned later on this building was part of the center hospital and was originally used as the receiving area it was called the receiving hospital Dr. Walter Freeman, pioneer in transorbital technique, demonstrated how lobotomies were performed on 31 Athens State Hospital patients. Actually, it was over 200. Also, the Kirkbride Plan Asylums occupy a unique niche in the culture, as more than 70 were built across the nation, with 25 surviving as of 2019. They are a uniquely accessible and idyllic representation of the allures of urban exploration. Um, so that building, which is, it was torn down, uh, it started not last year, but the year before being torn down and it's now torn down. The receiving hospital is no longer part of the, uh, the ridges, but he was in the building where the lobotomies were performed. And now we come to Kendra and I and our experience, which we did talk about briefly in the introduction to Athens, the Athens Zone episode. But we didn't mean to go into the main building. We were actually walking around on the grounds. And this was a little over a year ago. And it was snowy. 
and it was pretty. And we, we went up on Radar Hill and we looked around at all the trees and we looked at the conservation area where they do uh, uh, different environmental uh, studies. And so we, you know, we looked at the little ponds and we looked at how they, they measure the water level rising and falling with the seasons. It was cool. And we got cold, basically. <laughs> and so we we walked down the hill and there's the main building. And, and she was like, you think it's open? I said, let's find out. Because it was a Sunday. So we didn't figure it'd be open. But it was. So we hadn't been in there since the uh, museum had opened. So why not? So we went in. And the very first thing you see is a little exhibit about the building and the grounds and the history of the place and a map of how it used to look, a map of how it looks, old photographs, photographs of the staff. Is Jack Crox in there? I think he is. He is. He is. Yeah. He being the most famous and important personage of all <laughs> in all of this. Um, and we were like, oh, this is cool. You know, yeah. this the is coffee shop. Done. Yeah, the coffee yeah. shop was not open. We were sad. Was sad. The original mosaic tile floor is there, which is beautiful. Yeah. Um. So we, you know, we went in. We decided to warm up, even though we couldn't have coffee. And the first floor, there was nothing too weird. It was fine. And the first floor is in the center part of the building. But then there are two staircases at. You know, there's galleries on one side and galleries on the other. And then there's staircases that go up into the wings. And we made the mistake of going into the east wing. And it's cool because they have a a little environmental museum for kids. So it's it's about the environment of southeastern Ohio and all the little animals and plants that you can see. And there's little activities set out for the kids to do. And that was great. Uh, but I felt really sick. I started feeling like I had a headache, a very specific headache. I was actually worried I was about to start having a, a migraine. But I had a headache right on either side of my nose, up at the top, near my eyes, and I was not thinking anything about anything. We're just enjoying the little conservation area. It was really well done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Kendra Kendra has a degree in... in Environmental in, sciences. Yeah, a related, you mm -hmm. know, field. So... We were all like, oh, you know, when we were kids, we would have loved this and it'd be so cool. But then I'm just, as I'm in there, I'm just getting weak, just more and more painful. And I was like, is it, the, is it coming from the cold air into the warm? What, what's going on here? You know, are my sinuses screwed up? Am I getting a, am I getting a sinus infection? What's going on? And I looked at her and I said, you know, I do you really want to go in the other wing or can we just, I kind of, and she, she was like way too eager to leave. Yeah. I was <laughs> like, I'm getting a headache. I'm not feeling great. I'm good to go. And I was so done. we, we went down the steps and, you know, said goodbye to the, to the student who was in attendant there, who was sitting at the information desk. 
Did we peek through some forbidden doorways, though? Yes, we did, and we saw the blue tile room. It was the blue tile room, yeah. The infamous blue tile room. And once I saw that, that was when I was like, you know, no, it's time to go. Because yeah. the door was open to it, but it was it was taped off. There was right. caution tape. So they, they still are doing something in that yeah. area. And Kendra went, hey, what's going on with that? I'm like, ah, I know what that is. We'll talk about it later. It's time yeah, to go. Once I, once I saw the layout, I'm like, oh, there are water features on the walls. And that's all. Mm, I don't want to be here. <laughs> yeah, so we we left, and as we're walking across the parking lot, I was like, you got a headache too? And she's like, yeah. I said, where'd you get a headache? And she pointed at the corner of her eye and was like, "That it, it just really around my eyes. We got to the car, and it dawned on me. And I, yeah, once we got to the car, we were fine. You would think going from the warmth to the cold, and it was bitterly cold and windy, um, that that would have made the headache worse, but it didn't. It actually made it feel better. We got to the car, and as I opened the door and sat down, I realized, oh. And I said, Kendra, where exactly did it hurt? And she pointed to the corners of her eyes on each side of her nose, and I said, oh, that's where Dr. Freeman put pointy tool to do the transorbital lobotomy and then she just kind of went paler than she usually is anyway <laughs> which is to say she looked like a little snowman and i looked pretty pale and i'm like you know let's go let's see just... let's go someplace else <laughs> let's go get some chipotle and go home because <laughs> this is this is crap i don't, I don't like it um later when we started doing the research for the these episodes is when I found out that the East Wing was where Building 20 was that had been torn down by then. And that was the receiving hospital where the transorbital, transorbital lobotomies were done. And I was like, oh, that's why we got the headache. Nice. Okay. Never going there again. So it was interesting to me when Brian sent me this story that he had written up. I was like, oh, nice. Yeah. So that building is no more. Which I think is all to the good. Yeah. It's it's good that it was erased. Um, one other little tidbit I will give about... Uh, a ghost experience up there. It's it's actually one of my favorites. It's from the book Ghosts and Legends of Athens, Ohio. It was published in 2014. The author is Nicholas A. Lands. Um, there is a little uh, little story in there from two OU students who were walking around up at the ridges and they saw what it was described as a high handlebar vintage bike with no one on it traveling on a curved road with a strange fog around it and it sort of went over the hill and disappeared. They couldn't see it. So when they came to where it went over the hill, they were they were like, well, somebody must have shoved that. 
you know, why is somebody shoving a bike? You know, maybe they're trying to see how far down the hill it can go before it wrecks into a car that's parked there or whatever. And they got to the crest of the hill and looked down and there was no bike. There was no bike by the side of the road. There was no bike crashed into anything. There was no sound of a bike. So I like that. I love that. I love the phantom bicycle. I think that's great. So that, that kind of ends our little journey journey into the ridges. (laughs) Do y'all have any, any, feelings you want to throw out there any thoughts and then we can close down this both beautiful and somewhat disturbing research project yeah i i think i think i would really really like it if other athenians could email us and tell us what they think and what they've seen or felt around the ridges because I know there's way more stories. There's got to be. And it would bring me such joy if we could hear some. Of and y'all's. not just about the hauntings. Just I, I heard, in general. I heard stories from Athenians whose parents worked here at the Ridges. Who um, they had family members who were patients there. And they visited when they were kids. I heard stories about people who bought their milk there from the dairy barn. So, yeah, tell tell us tell us your stories. Um, we don't want to just hear the spooky stuff. We want to hear the other stuff too, because it's a complicated story. It's 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 a multifaceted, multi-branched story, and it's fascinating. And it's both good and bad. I, I feel the need to add that just because one per like for instance with the TB ward where I didn't necessarily felt feel so much foreboding that that doesn't mean that I don't believe that other people do or that it doesn't cancel out anybody else's experience. So if I experience something and I say, I didn't really get much out of it. That doesn't mean that I don't think somebody else gets something out of it. And I think with regard to hauntings, that's an important thing to keep in mind is it just may be that my goo aligned with that particular emotion of the place where Morgana's aligned with something a little more unsettling. Or, you know, I, this is another thing where, I don't know if anybody's right or wrong. Exactly. (laughs) I don't think right or wrong is the exact right way to look at it. And that's exactly what I'm getting at is there's no one single answer. Yeah. You know, or experience. Yeah. That's one of the things I, in part, why we did such a deep dive on the history. It wasn't to to debunk everything. It wasn't to debunk that there are hauntings because we know darn good and well that there are because we've experienced it. And so many other people have. Yes, absolutely. We're not saying that that didn't happen to Or ghosts aren't dead people even. Yeah, some of them may be. But what we did want to talk about was there are myths surrounding that area 
and then some there's... of them are incorrect and and are factually incorrect and some of them are damaging i think especially the things about margaret schilling's body leaving a stain i i harped on it before but i don't like the fact that there was the remains of a woman being called a stain she was a person and the people in the graveyards are people and i applaud nami particularly for humanizing the people in those graveyards and fixing those graveyards up and helping descendants of the people in those graveyards reconnect with their ancestors. I think that's beautiful work and I think it's important. But also, it's a complicated place. It is. It's both beautiful and horrifying. Transorbital lobotomy is horrifying. It's mutilation. And it's, I think that's sort of, to me, that's the real horror of the asylum. It's the horror of all asylums. It's the, for the longest time, and to this day, we did not understand how to handle or treat mental illness. And so, well-meant treatments ended up being torture and that that is the scary part to me is is that asylums were used help was harm and it's like a weird weird alice in wonderland help was harmful <laughs> sometimes and the places that were meant to, to save you could be twisted into a place to put away your wife when you were tired of her. Society did not treat asylums well at times. They were underfunded. They became overcrowded. Not because an asylum in and of itself is a place of harm, but because society decided to mistreat and misuse the asylum. The monsters and the horrors of the asylum were human horrors. They were perpetuated not by monsters, not by ghosts, not by ghouls, but by humans. And they're just very sad places. And in a way, what we really wanted to do with this story was humanize the stories that people hear about asylums. And so it's not just a legend trip place. It's not just a place to go to be titillated or scared for fun. It's a place to recognize that good came from this place and bad came from this place. It's a place to recognize the history. The whole point of history is to learn from it. If we don't remember both the good that we did in the past and the bad, we run the risk of repeating the bad until we learn the lesson. That was kind of my point in doing this these two episodes. And, you know, if we get more stories from Athenians, we might revisit it. And when it's time to, you know, come out of our houses during this pandemic, when it's not quite so horrible, 
we we might just haul off and take some electromagnetic readings out there and see what we can find. We're not going to sign off with a cutesy don't talk to the paranormal critters this time again. This is this is too serious of a subject. But what we will say is if you have any stories you want to tell us about the ridges, about Athens, about Anywhere you are, if you're an experiencer, send us an email. It's 6djk67 at gmail.com. And one of us will answer you fairly promptly. Thank you for listening. Take care of yourself. Stay out of the ice if you can. And come back next week. Mm -hmm.